Welcome to Media, Marketing and Advertising on PG Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Paul Gardner. In 1967, Australia held a referendum to decide whether Aboriginal Australians could be considered part of our population. Whilst resisting the somewhat delicious irony that 50 years later we have another quasi-referendum on what does and doesn't constitute normality, the plight of recognition for our first settlers has been long and arduous. It took another 25 years for the Mabo decision overturning Terra Nullis, then a further 16 years until Parliament proclaimed the first welcome to country and Kevin Rudd issued a solitary word towards reconciliation. Sorry. Was it really that difficult? Are we really so heartless as a nation? Or are we merely reflecting an attitude that's all too hard and too hopeless and let's just give up? Dr Robert Hoskin has spent the last 15 years relating to our Indigenous brothers, especially the Mohanjim people. Today we want to find out how do you sell their story and is anybody really buying it? Robert, welcome. Thank you. It's, a, it's quite a no. cold day we're hearing in Vale. Having been the Kimberley just uh, the other week, it's quite a radical difference, I can assure you. You've, you've written a book which is a return to Majadin, a Kimberley homecoming. Why, why, did you, why did you write that book? I wrote that book because Eddie Bear said, look, this needs to, my story needs to be shared with future generations. And um, when he said that, I thought it his story needs to be shared with all Australia. Because and, and so Eddie, Eddie Bear is, is uh, an elder, Narragin elder. Yeah. Eddie's been uh, chair of a place called Moajum on and off for the last 20 years. Quite a substantial leader and presence and my friend. And why, why Eddie Bear? Why, why his story was so special? Why Eddie? Because I began a, a doctorate and um, at the same time of beginning a doctorate, Eddie said, look, come up country. Coming up country means visiting his traditional lands. Mm -hmm. And um, let me host you into our culture. And I said, look, can I sort of look at how we can collaborate going up country and put this as the theme of my doctorate? He said, yes. And so the story began there. Why is it important to have it written as a book? Why is, why is it such an important thing for us as, as non-Indigenous? It's important for white people. To oh, I think we're, we're not so much oral as written to date. I think that's changing with, with this, for instance. But to date, it's been very helpful to have things in writing. Do, do the vast majority of Australians understand the Indigenous population? Oh, I don't think so. Look, um, I was up country last week um, with a few elders and one of the questions that Vince Bear at his brother gave me is um, do you think you really understand Aboriginal culture and I said look I'm learning and then he said look do you think many people across Australia understand Aboriginal culture and I could, I could not say yes I think it's no. I was surprised I recently went to Darwin for the um, National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Awards I was surprised when the when the, the people recipients were talking about their countries within the country. It wasn't it wasn't this the part of land. It was it was ni- I think they had ninety countries. Oh, look, um, what's so important to people like Eddie is their country, and it's the way that Aboriginal culture has been organised in the past. It's not been around a centralised government, but around different language groups. <laughs> like you, you take the the Narrangan people. In a sense, um, they have 24 clan groups, all with their own particular country. Robert, you've been doing this for a long time now, as you're going up country 15 years, I think, I think you've said. 
correct. You must have yes. seen lots of changes. Uh, tell me about the good changes you've seen. The good changes I've seen, um, I think that the children have come into a, a, a new knowledge of their culture. So they're beginning to express their culture in terms of Moacham has an annual festival. The children prepare well for that festival. I see um, enormous change happening within Moacham itself. Uh, we've helped as part of the Boab Network, and I'll talk about that later. Sure. Um, in terms of putting in a computer centre so that the, the children and adults are computer literate. Also, um, I see the change in terms of uh, creating a situation where they've got a future and so that we've re-engineered the pastoral station and out of that the government put in a new irrigation project with a few million dollars. Well that, that's the good, what, what about the bad? What, what is not, I know a lot has stayed the I, same, what has deteriorated? <laughs> Surely health? Uh, health has deteriorated and it, it's been deteriorating ever since colonialisation. When the first explorers came to the Kimberley they wrote material such as um, this area is so productive and the people so healthy that we could import 10,000 immigrants from England. Within 20 years there was leprosy and other uh, diseases and a roundup and leaving um, people now who are suffering the effects of sugar, diabetes, alcohol issues, drug issues, all those negative issues that we see in our Western society. So why, why doesn't the government do more? I mean, we hear platitudes from various ministers from time to time about we should be doing this, we should be doing that, but it's almost as if the population's not listening to it, the vast majority. Well, here we are in Brighton. There's not many Aboriginals here, I'd imagine, in Brighton. I lived in Brighton, and the, the issue for me was uh, going to Kimberley and being in a completely different culture. And I think that's part of the issue, that... We're dealing with a culture that is so foreign to the government way of thinking. And as I said before, it's not centralised, but certainly relating to particular parts of the land, whereas the government works in a centralised model. But apart from that, um, one of the things I've learnt is that you've got to listen to Aboriginal people. And um, I don't think the government's done that very well. I, I can see lots of images still in my mind of Parliament House the day Kevin Rudd issued the apology. Surely that should have been a great turning point, but it wasn't, was it? It, it wasn't, it wasn't. Um, it was in terms of a turning point for people who are part of the stolen generation. And it's one thing to give an apology, it's another thing to make the reparation. And yet another thing to work out an effective way to listen to the people and be with the people. One of, the, one of the key issues, of course, is around land and, and part of the reconciliation process around land. What, what are your views on Are we doing enough for this in terms of land and ownership and recognition? Well, we've done native title, um, which is a kind of an in-between space. Um, we've given Aboriginal people a, a place in our legal system. But the real recognition is they are the traditional owners of the land. And what does this mean? In the Kimberley, what it means is providing them with the resources to get back to land in the first place, to 
working a creative partnership so that it becomes an effective relating to the land. Now, in my book, Return to Maginan, um, I'm looking at Eddie's dream to return to Maginan. The problem is he lives in a dislocated community some two days' drive from his land. To get there requires enormous effort and the road's extremely bad, which means cars uh, go through hiding, if not the passengers. So that we do need great resources in order to enable that to happen. I saw on the news uh, the other night that uh, Uluru, the, the, the original owners of the land, has now said they don't want people to climb on Uluru. I'm hearing that all the time. Why, the why, why, the interesting thing, I was with some people and they said, why would they do that? Why would they cut off their nose despite their face? Because all the tourism and all the dollars that must come into the community... And it's an interesting dilemma, isn't it? I mean, how much is it we need the money to make the lands work? But I don't think that's the argument in terms... um, When I go up country with Eddie, what I'm very aware of is he's responsible for me and the other white fellas are gay. So that if something happened to us, they take the responsibility. Uluru is on um, Aboriginal land, so they feel responsible. If someone falls off... It is not just a whitefellow responsibility, it's very much understood as an Aboriginal responsibility. So it's nothing to do with the fact that it's sacred land? Well, that and the fact of what I've said. But um, the responsibility certainly comes into it. I don't think that they're obstructing so much as taking care of. Okay. The, the other interesting point that's emerged in the last few months, I guess, are uh, various councils deciding not to celebrate Australia Day. Now, I, I can recall when Australia Day is mentioned, those more active Indigenous people come out and call it Invasion Day. Uh, but what, what are you feeling about that? Should, should we say, OK, let's not have Australia Day so the, their feelings aren't hurt? Or I, When I first heard it, I um, disagreed with the councils. Now I'm more inclined to agree. Um, What's, what swung you? The grief that more and more I become aware of that grief and tension that hasn't been solved in my lifetime around colonialisation. And whether or not, like it or not, um, this land has been taken over. Now, how to come to an arrangement, I'm not black saying we should um, be caught up in grief and can't move forward, but we should possibly respect this tension. And one way is to explore other ways of another day for Australia Day. In America, President's Day is an interesting day. It's a holiday that falls exactly between the birth of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln because the southern states wouldn't celebrate Lincoln's birthday. So there might be an idea in there. That's a good, yeah. Somewhere Mm, between mm. Reconciliation Day and Australia Day. Pick a day, that's the day for all people. But I just just looked at that and wondered whether more councils will follow suit. Do you think they will? I think in Victoria, whether they will do in Western Australia and Queensland is another matter. You talked about the BOAB Network, which is a volunteer organisation. Tell me what the BOAB Network, apart from those very big, beautiful trees that exist in the outback. We chose it because of those beautiful trees. As a reminder of the um, Kimberley. The BOAB Network was asked to come in um, as a church-initiated organisation, volunteers, to help the fact that there'd been a spate of suicides 
and that spate of suicide continued to the point that Mowajim and the surrounding area of Derby was labelled as the suicide epicentre of Australia. So we're dealing with harsh realities of the loss of a number of young people. And this, is, this is not deaths in custody suicides? No, this is um, youth who have lost heart and the, one of the happenings that we observed was that the young people would go and hang themselves on a tree and then the community would cut down the tree and to our horror there'd been a lot of trees cut down. So we're dealing with sad business. I mean, youth suicide is a, is a very, very big thing in Australia as a whole, isn't it? It's not always, but, but in, it's more prevalent in Indigenous societies? More prevalent. Um, and in the Canadian studies around suicide, there's evidence that when an Aboriginal society loses its culture, loses its connection to land, and has health issues and other issues, then suicide rates increase. So how does, how does the BOA network, how does it help that? Is it an awareness thing? Is it a... No, look, oh, well, yeah, we try and make people aware, like I'm talking to you now. Yeah. Um, but we believe also in practical help and collaboration with the people. So over the last eight years, we've put in a computer centre. In each of the holidays, we've um, had children program and youth programs. We've fostered a van. We've helped the community to gain the funds to re-engineer its pastoral station and with that came an irrigation project sponsored by the government on the basis that, that creates hope and jobs. We've also been there advocating... And, a, and skills trained to be pretty important oh, in that very, area. Of course. Um, we're dealing with huge unemployment and at times um, you asked about that relationship between the government and the people. Well, at times the government can do crazy things in terms that we had a housing project at Moajum, which was providing great opportunities of work and administration money. And this was given to a, a, a crowd in, um, in Queensland. So then we had to come and advocate that without those monies we needed help and administration so that the project around the irrigation could be effectively managed. So that you get issues like that. It is solvable? It's solvable, very solvable. But you need someone in between and we are one people that hope that operate in between. So we've got the time to listen, but also the time to re respond to, to the government and so on. I recently spoke to Justice Michelle Gordon of the High Court, who's been a little busy throwing out politicians lately, and she talked about her view on Indigenous and, and the Constitution in terms of she felt the only way for change was to change from within. So her encouragement is to find uh, Aboriginal students studying law and encourage them to specialise in constitutional law. So ultimately they'll be able to make some change to it. I mean, it's a, it's a longer term program, but I think there's a lot of those mm. Oh look, I agree with that entirely. And the problem, and if I again, seeing it from Owen's perspective, we're dealing with 30% rate of children going to primary education. So the system is not working. Now we see our role 
as kind of um, being as a broker in that situation and trying to to look at ways to fix that down the track. But it is a government responsibility. Um, I could say, I could speak for a whole hour on that issue, but um, just taking that one issue of education, what we try and do, for instance, is take younger people, give them an opportunity to go down to Perth and see life from a different perspective for a week or two, to encourage them then to go for secondary education yes. in Perth, which they do. Yes. And there's been 13 or 14 people who've done that in the past couple of years, which then provides an opportunity for creating one or two then to go into the kind of thing you're talking about. I'm talking to Dr. Robert Hoskin and Return Imagitin. Robert, what what makes you happy? You're happier here in Brighton in a cafe, a noisy cafe, or in the <laughs> in the in the Kimberley? Where are you happiest? Oh, look, I'm happy in both. Um, it's pretty I'm, cold here, by the way. I know. <laughs> but it's bloody hot. Sorry, it's, it's hot in the Kimberley. <laughs> I'm happy to... There are, the Kimberley is an amazing place because I see all my friends, um, the Whitehead generation, taking their four-wheel drives up the Kimberley and enjoying the Gibb River Road and all its various attractions. On the most positive side... I go to the most extraordinary places with the, the people and so swim in places which are beyond my concept of being a Victorian. It's so beautiful. So I'm happy, I'm happy here in Victoria because I've survived. <laughs> and the survival is really that I've survived the risk of infection. Oh, let me tell you a little story. In the last visit, we swam waterhole with something like 40 freshwater crocodiles. Now, we know that they're reasonably safe. But what... Um, what, did you, what did you ask them personally? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, only need, you only need one not to be safe. <laughs> Out of the 40, you've got a problem, don't you? So, the irony was coming back and staying at a friend's house and getting scratched by the friend's house, the cat at the, her house, and ending up in hospital. <laughs> I would have fed the cat to one of the 40 crocodiles first. It was 21 years of age, and I think it had a short life. <laughs> so you're happy in both places. How, how, how do they look on you when you're up there? Are you a person that's a, obviously a friend and associate? Are you also a person that's going to help them? Or how are you viewed up there in an in, in Indigenous society? I think both. They would look to whitefellas such as myself to be a voice for them in the white community. Not to... What I've tried to do with the book, for instance, is allow Eddie's voice to come through, mm-hmm. which it needs. And I'm, it's a time frame over 80 years? Yeah. Eddie's 80 years yeah. old, yeah? Well, his family... It's a time frame of the family being moved over the 80 years and memory of that. Now, I think it's important that Aboriginals speak for themselves, but equally it's important that I provide the means by which they can be heard and at times speaking to white people, white fellas, in a white fella language. So, h- how do I get the book? Is it available everywhere? Is it online? Is it you can one of those go, cute little e-reader things right, or something? It's about to be launched, and okay. it'll be launched at St Kilda Uniting Church on the 19th of November mm-hmm. at 11.30 to noon. Now, I have a website, The Kimberley Voice, 
and there's full details on the website. That's kimberlyvoice.com.au. The, the kimberlyvoice.com.au. Full de- details on the site about the book and how to order it. And, and uh, how many would you like to sell? Oh, look, I have a run of 500 and already um, something like 120 have been distributed and sold in, in Western Australia. I'd like to sell 300. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I, that I read when I read the, uh, the blurb yeah. that Kelly kind of sent me across was how Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people can work together for a creative future. What, what's a creative future look like? A creative future is where the children can flourish so that the children have the similar opportunities to children down here in Melbourne, in Brighton. But it's doable. I think it's doable. Is it light years away or are we talking about something that no, can change in generation? No, I think we're doing the next generation. The next generation, yeah. yeah. Because what needs to be solved are the health issues, a, a complete change of diet because we've wooed them onto a sugar diet and that's got to be changed. Some way of return to land for Mojan people and people like Mojan. And education, as you said before, education is, is really the key. What about representation in terms of number of Indigenous people in the various parliaments? I mean, federal parliament seems a little scarce of a strong voice Indigenous people. Oh, look, if I speak from Mojan point of view, um, it seems Canberra is, is remote, but equally um, it is important for them to have a voice within Canberra, Canberra or, or Perth and so on. So I'd agree, there needs to be Aboriginal representation. The difficulty is how to make that happen. You'd imagine in some of the electorates, the remote electorates, that they have a pretty strong vote. Oh, they do. Um, but again, how do you coordinate that vote? Sure. And how do you find the representation is going to act all yes. on behalf of everybody? Uh, in the Kimberley, there is an Aboriginal um, representation in um, state politics. And speaking of Robert Hosking, uh, it's fascinating to to hear you talk and congratulations on the book oh, thank and, you. and your work and uh, I look forward to reading the book actually one of the one of the 500 copies I hope I can manage to get one I'm sure Kelly oh. will rustle one we'll, up for we'll me we'll get to one yeah. and I'll let you get back to the warmth of the Kimberley's out of this, out <laughs> oh, of no, no, unfortunately day. I'm staying mum but it is warming up <laughs> thanks Robert thank you very much thank you Paul This is Paul Garden, that was Robert Hoskin, and don't forget, if you'd like to know more about the BOAB Network, you can go to boabnetwork.org, they will be set up a foundation, and really it's something we all should pay more attention to, to help the plight of our Indigenous brothers and sisters. Uh, You can contact me at paul at pgarden.com.au, or look up my own podcast on pgpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.